0: Hi, how you doing? Welcome to my podcast, A Design for Life. How to survive and thrive at life. My name's Phil Mears, entrepreneur, mindset coach, and I want to share with you my life lessons on how I learned to survive some unbelievable life traumas. But also, from that, I designed a successful life for myself. I'll also share with you my harrowing backstory and how I can help you with not just the big life-affirming challenges and changes you want to make to your life, but also the little everyday challenges when you're feeling a little bit disorientated and you maybe need a little bit of a boost to get you going again. This podcast is where you'll discover my secrets of how to apply a positive mindset to uplift your life when you're feeling a bit stuck, maybe don't know which way to turn. And you will be able to thrive in ways you've never before imagined and perhaps start living the best life you can. I'm excited to have you with me here, so thanks for tuning in. You are now living dead, Phil. That's how I used to see myself and how I believed that other people saw me after my accident all those years ago. From the chest down, I now had no use for my body and yet I still had to drag it around and care for it as though it mattered. The contrast between who I'd become by August the 15th, 1985, and who I was a day later, was so traumatic, I could no longer see why I was still alive. And yet, here I am, all these years later. And I don't think like that anymore. In fact, I find it almost inconceivable that I ever did. So, what changed? Well, to add some context, when I was 15, I decided that I wanted to be a Royal Marine Commando. From that moment onwards, I just became totally focused on being as fit and strong as I could be. As a kid, I'd competed at inter-school level in athletics and basketball, so I felt I was reasonably sporty and that would give me a solid fitness foundation on which to build up my fitness. However, over the next two years, I would run and I would lift weights several times a week until I eventually joined the Marines at 17. So by the time I was 19, I considered myself to be super fit, and I'd grown hugely confident in that level of fitness, to the point that one year, on a whim, I literally just decided to enter the annual Buxton Half Marathon, which is incredibly challenging, since it's 13 miles of continuous uphill and down dale in the Peak District. And I posted what I felt was a pretty good time. That's where I was at. So by August the 15th, I was... Super confident and super fit. Why am I telling you this? Well, on August the 16th, 1985, that all changed. As a result of my motorbike accident, I was left paralysed from the chest down, effectively losing the use, control and feeling of 75% of my body. Now, for anyone, that would be a devastating blow. But in this super fit 19-year-old With all the self-confidence that goes with that, on the cusp of a life full of adventure and excitement, it could be argued that it would be very difficult to survive something like that, mentally or physically. In episode one of this podcast, I have detailed what happened next and how I came close to not being here anymore. But in this episode, I'm going to shine a light on what I learned about the process I went through as a result of trying to survive this major life trauma. Now, if you've experienced some kind of major life trauma, such as the... Loss or death of a loved one, uh, a divorce, or being made redundant. These can all be major life traumas that literally throw your life up in the air and land in pieces, all broken. And the overwhelm that you feel trying to put those pieces back together so that you can continue is basically a huge trauma. So, what I learned about the process I went through, I've managed to break down into five steps that I overcame. And Perhaps you might get something from this if you can identify these steps and what you need to do about it, how they're affecting you and how you unpack them and repack them so that as they show up for you and you can move on with your life. And I believe you can not only survive in the aftermath of something like this, but I believe that you can thrive as well. At the end of the day, I did it and I'm not special. So if I can do it, I believe that there are many people out there that can do the same. This is what I learnt when looking back on what I'd been through. And the first step I identified was shock and disbelief. So the time I spent immediately after my accident, trying to make sense of what had happened, just felt at the time like this was an end. The end, if you like. All I knew and believed about my life prior to my accident was gone. Everything I thought that was my life, being able-bodied, and all that goes with that, would no longer be a part of my life. All that self-confidence and self-belief had gone. The two major aspects of being a paraplegic that impact on you first are, one, not being able to walk, and two, not being able to feel anything below the level of the trauma, which in my case... His nipple height. But the third realization, for me at least, was that this was never going to change. It was never going to get any better than this, which just served to magnify the impact on me and enabled me, for want of a better phrase, to spiral. And the overwhelm at trying to deal with this was unbelievable. I couldn't believe that this sort of thing should happen to me. I remember thinking at the time, this is the sort of thing that happens to other people, not me. You often read newspaper reports or you would hear on the news that a 19-year-old man has been involved in a road traffic accident, as they used to call them then, and has life-changing injuries. And then you'd think, poor fucker, and you move on with your life. But not for me. The disbelief never went away for quite a while. I would wake up in the morning and I would think, i would just had the most awful nightmare. But at least it was just a dream. And then, before long, I'd realise all over again it wasn't a dream. It was, in fact, reality. And that the shock and disbelief would be there again every morning. After a while, I did start to get over it. The single most effective practice that helped me in this initial phase of shock and disbelief was to speak with others that had been through the same experience. And I believe that whatever life-changing trauma you may have experienced, talking to people who've been through the same thing will help enormously. Whether it's the loss of a loved one, divorce, redundancy, bankruptcy, or some other significant event that's turned your life immeasurably, there is always someone that has found a way through. Right now, those are the people that you need to be around. I would absolutely recommend you find and you reach out and connect with people like this without delay. Don't try and resolve this stage on your own. I believe that that approach leads to anxiety, depression, PTSD. Talking with someone that is willing to allow you space and time just to vent will help. But the real breakthrough, I believe, comes from shared experience and talking with someone that has had that first-hand experience of what you're feeling. So that's shock and disbelief. The next stage is fear. This was, for me, a combination of both the known and the unknown. What I knew about my condition was that I would forever be a wheelchair user with all the implications that involves. Just imagine, just for a second, indulge me, how your life would change right now if you had to live your life in a wheelchair. How would you live in your house? What would access be like? How would you get around your house? Could you drive your car? Would you still be able to do your job? How would it impact on your spare time? Holidays, etc, etc. The list goes on. What about not being able to feel any part of your body below chest height? The lack of control over your bodily functions. Making sure you don't damage your skin because you can't feel it. Now add to the realisation that from this day forward, all of the above will never improve for you. Immediately, the fear you might be feeling is akin to how I felt at 19, with the majority of my life ahead of me. And I still hadn't experienced so much and I believed I never would. I feared missing out on so much based on what I knew about my condition. So that was the fear of what I knew. But then there's the fear of the unknown. Would I be more vulnerable to illness? How could I manage my bodily functions now that I had no control over them? Would I ever be able to socialise comfortably again? I mean, what about busy pubs? Getting into the toilet. Also, being effectively four foot tall and when the conversation in a busy pub is still two feet above your head. Would you be able to join in that conversation? Would I ever be regarded as a capable human being? Would I ever feel like a capable human being? Would I be considered attractive ever again? The list goes on. And so much of what we take for granted about being a normal, able-bodied human would cause fear for us when taken away. I had to somehow suppress the temptation to descend further into this spiral of despair about my fear of the known and the unknown. And on top of this, I was given a prognosis of survival of just 20 years, if I was lucky. So I needed a reframe, and I needed one urgently. Talking to others with shared experience helps, but the mindset is all my own responsibility. So the reframe I chose was firstly to see my future as an indefinite training course, paralleling what I'd experienced during my commando training. And this begins by embracing the four elements of commando spirit. Courage, determination, unselfishness and cheerfulness in the face of adversity. So the first two I knew I'd be comfortable with. Just something that I found I was capable of doing. However, unselfishness and cheerfulness took a bit more work. When you're so wrapped up with all your own needs that you become blind to the needs of those around you, it's hard to become unselfish, especially when you don't know when you'll be able to satisfy those needs again. So here, the reframe was simply, just take what you need, but no more. Leave the rest for someone else in need, be it something tangible or something intangible. Greed is most definitely not good here. As for being cheerful, when you are going through hell, all I can say is, I'm still working on that. Not every day is a sunshine and roses. At the time, this huge fear of what was coming for me, presenting a sense of humour was a challenge but it has practical implications people are more likely to offer help to you if you come across as positive and cheerful in your demeanor more so than if you don't help and support was something i was going to need a lot of so there was motivation and there still is today to keep cheerful and to keep positive so the third step that i had to overcome was sadness and grief now as with any loss There will be a period of sadness and grieving and as such I believe it's beneficial at first to allow the space to immerse yourself in these emotions but without completely disconnecting from those around you. These emotions will come in waves at the most unexpected times and so allowing yourself a safe space to engage with them will gradually release some of the pain that goes with that. And I grieved hugely for the loss of my fit, strong, capable self, which I knew was gone and it was never going to return. Along with that, I felt I'd lost all my self-belief and confidence, qualities that I'd only held for a couple of years, having had no confidence in myself growing up. So what I'd begun to see as my new identity at the age of 19, being confident, being strong mentally and physically, was now completely shattered and more akin to the person I'd been growing up. Anxious, fearful and pessimistic. And after all the work I'd undertaken in the last couple of years before my accident, the grief and sadness I felt was just overwhelming me. So this was another mindset that I had to reframe urgently. So what I did here was to imagine that the person I had been before my accident had died. Which sounds dramatic, but my reasoning was this. If I imagined that that person was no longer around, I was more likely to move forward by focusing on the mantra that life goes on. And that death comes to us all eventually. Whilst I would talk to some degree about my sadness with the closest people to me, I'd avoid that being my sole topic of conversation as people soon get sympathy fatigue and start avoiding you so again i had to embrace the fourth element of commando spirit cheerfulness in the face of adversity until i began to feel the grip of the sadness on me weaken so anger This is step number four that I started to feel. And you may feel the same thing. After suffering any major life trauma, we will inevitably begin to feel a degree of anger. You might feel anger at God for letting this happen to someone we care about, or ourselves. The government, maybe. In the case of a loved one that has died, anger for them leaving us, or finally ourselves for being responsible whether it's justified or not or in the case of a divorce anger at the person that you are divorcing being made redundant or being bankrupt Of all the emotions we feel, though, as a result of sudden life trauma, this is the one I feared not getting control over the most. The reason is because this is the one that can cause most damage, not just to us, but the relationships around us. Relationships we will need now more than ever. It's very difficult and dangerous to keep our anger internalised and not allow it to affect those who are closest to us, the ones that deserve our rage least. So somehow we have to control and dissipate our anger. Because one thing we must not do is keep it all in. Never allowing it to escape. That's totally going to be destructive for us. So I had to find a way of getting rid of this anger. And this anger will show up at different times. So these are just three things that worked for me. Firstly, scream, swear, cry until I feel the initial rage is gone. I would do this often leaving me out of breath or exhausted even. The top of my voice screaming into a pillow so nobody could hear. What then? Once that initial feeling of anger and rage has been dealt with, you do feel exhausted. You do feel as though you've let something out. You've purged yourself of something. Then comes the difficult part of this next layer of anger, whereby it shows up when we're not expecting it. And if left unmanaged, then it can cement itself into your behaviour, making it very difficult down the line to deal with. So the second process I adopt is to take the view that prevention is better than cure. And therefore, I would recommend to anyone else some sort of physically strenuous activity. Now, this can be a workout, obviously, a run, dancing, or even gardening, as long as it requires a high degree of sustained physical activity. And to repeat this activity over a period of days, weeks, months, or even a new lifestyle change, but long enough for fatigue to set in as a result of these efforts. Eventually, the anger that keeps showing up for you will diminish, and the strength and intensity of that anger will diminish, and you will feel, as a result of this physical activity, your mindset starts to feel a little more positive. The third anger management activity I adopt is to journal, to write down how we feel when we are angry. It's incredibly powerful. And when I do this, I resist the temptation to be lucid, as though I'm writing something somebody else is going to read and expect them to understand it. No, none of that. This is about you and you alone. So you just let your stream of consciousness dictate what you are writing because it's literally a purging exercise. If you do go back and read it, perhaps when you're feeling little more rational, a little more in control, the revelations of how your mind works when you are angry can often teach us an awful lot about how we truly are. And I have found that it gives us an insight into how other people must see us when we are at our worst. That's three stages I use to help dissipate some of that anger. And it really works for me. And I believe it can work for you. So the fifth stage is relief. As shock, pain, grief and anger begins to subside, there will eventually be a sense of relief that the worst is over. This is totally fine. However, I've known people to slip back into guilt because of the fact that they feel this relief. They feel they should still be grieving or feeling pain. And because they're not, they feel this guilt. If you've got this far, then you deserve the relief. And to celebrate it because you have survived. Often we don't consciously think that we're surviving when we're going through something traumatic or trying to work our way through getting over a traumatic event. We just react to whatever is happening around us and how we feel at the time. But I find that recognising and strategizing our actions and reactions will not only help us better survive intact, but also teach us some very important lessons about ourselves. Not just for the future, but for the benefit of our present self-image. And this all helps build up our resilience. Understanding our behaviour often leads us to know we are stronger for us. And for others, more compassionate and more able to forgive ourselves for not being perfect. And therefore, not allowing our mistakes, large or small, to convince us that we are somehow failing. And this is all part and parcel of building up this resilience. Resilience is going to be the key from moving beyond the survival stage to thriving. So when we suffer a major life trauma, it can be a challenge to turn our focus inwards because we feel the priority should be all about what happened and dealing with the practicalities of repairing the damage it caused. But what have the damage done to us? If we don't repair that damage by being mindful of it at the time, then the negative long-term effects on our mental and physical well-being may never be repaired conversely by learning about ourselves and our capabilities or limitations we can have a better connection with who we are for now and the future should we experience something similar again again resilience at the very least we'll be able to move forward with our lives with no regret and an understanding that we can't go back and change the past so we have no choice but to move forward and if we're going to do that then why not do so with positivity and control? Now, I believe that if we can survive a major life trauma, then we can thrive. And I totally believe this mantra, and the reason I do is because when you analyse the effort it takes to survive and the mindset it takes, then all of that ability can still be harnessed in order to thrive. For example, one of the most important understandings that comes from surviving and retrospectively having survived is the fact that when you are or were going through it, you had no clue as to when it would end or whether it would get easier or harder before it ended. But you carry on with courage and determination. Well, if you project the same qualities into the mindset of thriving, then surely you are capable of the most amazing success, achieving the most incredible goals. The main difference, of course, between the two scenarios is that when you are surviving, you're often left with no choice. Whereas to thrive is all about making a conscious decision to put yourself into the uncomfortable. So to thrive, we should enjoy our comfort zone by all means. But be prepared to get out of it before it makes us complacent and lethargic and we lose the connection with our strength and capabilities. So surviving this major life trauma has made you stronger, has made you more capable. Use the inertia and your connection with these newfound strengths and capabilities to springboard into thriving. So assuming that we have survived, how do we begin to thrive after such a huge life trauma? What did I learn from my experience of having had my accident? How did I move into thriving? The first place was consolidation. How it happened and how I dealt with it. How can I avoid something similar happening again in the future? And what were my strengths and weaknesses when overcoming the trauma? These are all honest questions we need to ask ourselves and listen to the answers we give ourselves. This is only a conversation we have with ourselves. There's no excuse for not being candid with the answers that we give. So the learning taught me that I was more resilient than I had first thought, which helped prevent me from catastrophizing. So instead of focusing on losses, failures and uncertainties and worst case scenarios, I now focus on my successes and I'm better able to consider best-case possibilities. I found this practice particularly useful when I got made redundant some years later. Gratitude for what I have, rather than focusing on what had been lost, made a huge difference to my life. Life goes on for sure, we all know that, but we get to dictate how. And by giving thanks for what you have and being mindful of that on a daily basis, we're able to build up a positive future for ourselves with strong foundations and an unshakable belief in our abilities. So when I got made redundant, what I had to do was focus on my abilities and what I could take somewhere else. And with that mindset, I just got straight in action and I found another job, in fact, a better job. If I hadn't been made redundant, I would never have started my business 18 months later. The next stage on the road to thriving I would recommend is get moving. The important thing is, let's say, for example, you um, get made redundant or you become bankrupt. The best thing to do is to keep the habit of getting up each day at the same time and making sure you have things to do. Keep moving. Don't stop. Because getting going again once you've stopped is bloody difficult. When I had my accident, I found myself in a wheelchair. I not only had to get used to getting around differently, I had to get out and about for the sake of the mindset too. Being seen in public as a wheelchair user was important for me to recognise that people might look at me but actually wouldn't care about me either. But if I'd stayed away and focus on my vanity, then I may never have left the house again. And therefore, being out and about was beneficial for me to adapt to this new normal And the same would be for you. That would simply mean doing the same and avoiding this hiding away. But physical movement outside, whether you're in the street, at the shops, or better still, amongst nature, you have the mental separation from your home as well as the physical benefit of the body in motion. The home can be this cocoon that you can get trapped in. And this self-pitying mindset can keep you prisoner. But being outside... And the body being in motion, a combination of these two together, allows a distraction from this potential self-pity. This is what will help you move from survival mode to thriving mode. Of course, this only benefits us if we repeat the process consistently. We don't just do this one day and think, yeah, that's all right, we've done that. There are many ways to be mindful of beginning to thrive rather than just surviving. But the last one I'm going to draw attention to is sleep. Often, when we've suffered huge life trauma, we struggle to sleep because our mind just does not seem to want to stop whirring around. And our thoughts spiral, not only depriving us of valuable sleep, but amplifying the negative, destructive thoughts spinning around our head. So we need to sleep. If you extend my previous point about getting out and moving with exercise, and the earlier point of making that movement strenuous, then that will help you get a good night's sleep. We can, however, improve our chance of that happening by soothing our mind before bedtime, by reading, meditating or listening to soothing music and not looking at screens for at least an hour before we go to bed. What I actually find soothing is the sounds of water. I love the sound of water, it's so relaxing, whether it's waves on a beach, running water in a babbling brook, or even the sound of rain. In fact, I've created a playlist on Spotify with all of these sounds. If I'm struggling to sleep, then I'll just put this on, set the timer for 30 minutes, let it play until I fall asleep. Works every time. Self-care and stretch are the key elements I've found to thriving. Firstly, making sure we're okay mentally and physically. And then stretching ourselves consistently so our abilities, physically and mentally, grow. And our achievements increase. You have to have the desire to make it happen. The self-belief from that will come. But you start with motivation and you build the habit into consistent behaviour. Ensuring when the motivation wanes, you have this newfound habit already established. And that will carry you forward. Allow yourself to be imperfect, make mistakes, learn, be grateful for the positives you still have. Move often and stretch yourself when you do. Make your mind and body stronger by pushing them to do more than they are initially comfortable with and then relax them both. Sleep. Take these actions consistently And you will thrive. The goals you have, the success you crave and the achievements you desire will show up for you. And more besides, because we don't stop being in action. There is no finishing post where somebody puts a medal round your neck and says, well done, now you can stop. We keep going. And you will succeed in any way you desire. Because you are not living the life you've settled for. You are aiming for the life that you have designed. And that is what I did. And if I can do it, then so can you but thinking and dreaming will not climb the ladder you need to take action you start today start now do something and keep doing it and i wish you all the best in your actions take care thanks for listening to my podcast guys i really appreciate your company and i hope you got something from this episode that can help you with your life if you did then click subscribe because i've got so much more to share with you and i don't want you to miss a thing also why not bring your friends on the journey and share this podcast with them you can post feedback in the comments section I'd love to hear what you've got to say or you can get in touch with me direct by visiting my website at designforlifecoaching.com especially if you're struggling at the moment and you need a lift in the meantime stay safe guys and I look forward to catching up with you soon